Uh, glad to be before you guys today. As Pastor Ben said, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, been married 11 years and have two beautiful children. Uh, my princess, uh, Jamari, who is seven, and my little monster, uh, Jerome Gay Jr., the third, who is one. And so uh, it's my pleasure to be able to come up here to Greenville and, and share God's word with the Integrity family. I'm going to be coming out of Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I just want to read them, and then we will walk through. And I'm going to pray after we read and just really uh, just plead with the Holy Spirit to invade our time together uh, so that we can grow and uh, be blown away uh, by God's display of his grace in the text. So Mark chapter 6 Uh, Beginning at verse one, Uh, you can talk back to me if you got it. Say, I got it. All right. That's okay. Don't get scared. It's okay to talk back just a little bit. Okay. It's okay. I won't. I won't do nothing crazy. Uh, Mark chapter six, verse one, it says he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about teaching among the villages. Let us pray. Uh, Father. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the gift of grace given us in Jesus. Uh, We praise and worship you for the atonement that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, God. And we ask now, Lord, that you would invade our time by your spirit. I'm a frail man, and I ask that you would move me out the way, that I would minister the gospel with passion, power, and conviction, that you uh, would lead us. Let our hearts, our minds, and our hands respond to your word. Let us hear the word, Father God, with our ears. Let us receive it in our minds. Let us feel it in our hearts and let us respond through obedience with our hands. And so we ask, God, that you would be worshiped and glorified through us. We exist for your glory and that alone. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter six, verses one through six presents us with Jesus, the hometown reject. Uh, Typically, we are familiar with the hometown hero. We like to root for the home team. College football season is ending, and uh, I'm sure that would probably separate the crowd a little bit here. Uh, But we tend to root. Typically, we expect the hometown person to be received. But in the text this morning, we get a different picture of what Jesus has to endure. Uh, To catch us up a little bit, um, we're coming in chapter 6 of John Mark's narrative of this gospel. In chapter 1, John Mark was real clear about letting us know the point of his gospel narrative. 
And Jesus actually communicates this in Mark 1.15. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He tells us to do two things, repent and believe in the gospel. And so he lets us know right off the bat that the gospel is the one story that is threaded throughout the 66 books of scripture. It's the gospel that threads everything together. And everything we see about Jesus's life is pointing us to his mission and the reality of the gospel. In chapter two, we begin to see Jesus on this healing mission. Pretty much from then on, we keep seeing Jesus healing another person and saving people. It's revealing to us that Jesus uh, has authority over the natural realm because he heals a paralytic. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals a man with a withered hand. He heals a woman with an issue of blood. He raises Jairus' daughter back from the dead. But he's also uh, Lord and have authority over the spiritual realm. His authority is not just limited to the natural realm because he is both God and he's man. He's fully God. He's fully man. And and he has authority over the spiritual realm. In his encounter in chapter 5, just one chapter before this one, in his encounter with the woman with the issue of blood, it's interesting the Greek word that he uses to tell her that her faith has healed her. He uses the word sozo, which means total salvation. Uh, The point of this is that Jesus's mission and his message and his ministry was not just physical healing, but it was spiritual healing that you and I need to be saved from our depravity. We must be saved from our sin. And you would think a man with this type of track record of healing so many people at this point of the text, you would think his own hometown would receive him, but they don't. They reject him. And the interesting thing is the smoke screens they use to reject him. And it's important that we don't miss that because these smoke screens that they use are the same ones people use today to reject the gospel. In essence, when they are rejecting him, they're not rejecting just this carpenter that they think, but they literally reject the one who brings salvation to the world. And this is what John Mark shows us here In these few verses that we're going to walk through today, Jesus, the hometown reject. But what's the the, the beautiful thing we'll see at the end in verse six is why Jesus was rejected. So let us journey back through again, reading verses one and two. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who had heard were astonished saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done through his hands or done by his hands? Uh, uh, John Mark is letting us know that after raising Jairus' daughter and healing uh, the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus is now at Nazareth. And and the text is is intentionally intentionally letting us know where he is because typically we see Jesus traveling. He had just come from the, the Gerasenes. He, did, he dealt with this guy who was uh, naked, cutting himself in tombs. Uh, Jesus had an interesting ministry. This, this naked guy cutting himself in tombs. And, and here's the funny thing, is that the people were scared of Jesus instead of the naked guy cutting himself in tombs. Uh, I know we're in Greenville, and I'm sure you see some weird things in ECU. But I would prefer the man in an ephod versus the naked man cutting himself on campus. 
Okay, but they're scared of this guy. They're scared of Jesus as opposed to being scared of the naked man. And here's the thing. Uh, Jesus's hometown is Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. He spent a lot of his time in Capernaum, but this is his hometown. And Mark wants us to know that. But what we see here in verses one, two, and a little bit of verse three is that they use five smoke screens through their questions to 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 validate their rejection of Jesus. The first one is they question his authority. In verse two, they ask, where did he get these things? See, sin at its root is a question of God's authority. This is what we see as early as the beginning of the Bible, chapter three. Sin at its root is a question of God's authority, and that's the first thing they question. Where does he get these things? In the Koine Greek, it's it's essentially a question of the authority of God. They question his authority. In other words, they, they just see him as a hometown carpenter. So who is he to be able to speak life to anyone? Keep in mind, he's at the synagogue, and the, the Luke's gospel we'll read in a quick second gives us some more details of what's happening here. But they question his authority, and that's what happens. Sin at its root is a question of God's authority. In essence, what, what we do here, this is how it translates to us. We question God's authority to tell us what to do. We question God's authority to speak and direct our lives, and these guys are no different. The second thing they did there is they questioned his knowledge. They said, what wisdom is given to him? In essence, they're saying, uh, who may, do you think you know everything? He does because he's God. But, but they're, they're basically saying, you think you know everything, Jesus, in, in terms of how it was written in the original language. So they question his authority, but then they, they question his knowledge. That's the second smoke screen people tend to use. Uh, they question the the. the intellectual knowledge, how we can perceive and receive information. We, we think the, the gospel is simply too, uh, it's not intelligent enough to be received, that God would become a man and die for humanity. But for those of us that have received it, we know it goes beyond comprehension. In fact, it doesn't make sense, but that's what makes it so beautiful, that God would become a man. He would add humanity to his divinity to die for sin. The third thing, they questioned his power. They said, how are such mighty works done by his hands? So, so here's what, what it means is, you know, we, we tend to size people up or we all prejudge people based on our human intellect. And this is what they're doing to Jesus. The question of his power. Uh, how are these mighty works? They, they heard about the miracles. And let's make no mistake about it. When you read chapter five, you read the, the, the completion of chapter six. Everyone wanted the miracles of Jesus, but they did not want the message. They, they wanted Jesus as miracle worker. They did not want him as savior and master. They, they wanted him to meet their needs, but they did not want to submit to his authority, his knowledge or his power. So they question his authority, they question his knowledge, then they question his power. Uh, the fourth smoke screen is they question his identity. In verse 3, we're getting ready to read that. They, they looked at his family and they concluded that he does not come from the right pedigree. When we read verse 3 earlier, you saw they said, we, we know his, his mother, we know his brothers, he, he's right here with us. That's the other thing, this idea of familiarity breeding contempt. People will sometimes, based on knowing who you were before you got saved, somehow see that as a reason to reject your Savior. They question the identity of our Lord and Savior. 
The reason people do this ultimately is because they do not want to change. Jesus is bringing a message that they have not heard before. Remember chapter one, the time is fulfilled. In other words, the Messiah has come. The kingdom is at hand. He brings the kingdom to earth. But in order to enter this kingdom, it's not based on the law that you keep. It's based on repenting, acknowledging your sin, believing in someone higher, better, and outside of yourself. And what are we believing in? The gospel that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel is the power of salvation. So we cannot separate an understanding of salvation without an understanding of the gospel. The fifth thing they did after questioning his authority, questioning his knowledge, questioning his power, questioning his identity, they compared themselves. They said, aren't his sisters here with us? And that's as they're saying that uh, he's not special. What, what, what gives him this authority? What gives him this power? They compared themselves to the Savior. Now, in one sense, for those of us that have trusted in the Lord Jesus, that's a good thing. Because when we compare ourselves to Christ and, and it's clear that we don't match up to him, this is what makes the fact that he would die for, to, for us that much more beautiful. That, that he perfectly kept the law. That 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us he's our righteousness. It's, it's all about Jesus. He's the superstar of scripture. Everything is pointing us to him. But they compared themselves in a way that they thought they were better. They're law keepers. They understand the Torah and the Pentateuch. They, they know these things in scripture. But they didn't understand his ministry. They thought he came to be their spiritual genie. Meet my needs, Jesus, but don't tell me what to do. Bless my plans, Jesus, but don't direct my life. If we want to submit our plans to Jesus and we want him to put his stamp of approval, but it doesn't work that way. He tells us what to do, and he has invited us by his grace to join him on mission. He has invited us to be in the church where the manifold wisdom of Christ is made known. This is him. Uh, Luke's gospel gives us a little bit more detail because uh, the reason they're asking these questions, Mark, Mark is, is a, a, a type A, short to the point type of guy. He, he has the, the smallest gospel. I'm, I'm a type A guy. I like to just get right to the point. He, but he skipped a, a very good detail that Luke lets us know that and when we read one through three, what we don't know is that he opened up the scroll of Isaiah. And Luke lets us know that, that he, he, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. Uh, and it's Isaiah chapter 61, verses one and two. He, he reads it, and then Jesus just takes a seat. I love Jesus, because Jesus has basically just read the scripture, and he just dropped the mic and just stepped off. That's what he did. And when, when you read it, because when, when, when he read Isaiah 61, he says, today this has been filled. And the Bible says he went and took a seat. I love that. He just dropped the mic like enough said. This is our savior. But he did it humbly because he was humble. OK, in case you're wondering. All right. All right. Luke, Luke chapter four. I'm just going to read it to you guys so we can see that Luke, Luke four. This is the parallel passage of what we're reading now. Luke four, 16 to 21. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it is written. Listen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Told you, drop the mic, step off. Anybody wonder if I'm not in the text? That's what he did. I'm in the text. Rolled up the scroll, sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him, verse 21. And they began to say to him, today, and he said to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled. I love this because Jesus, who is God and and being omniscient, knowing all things, when Jesus reads this, the scroll of Isaiah, he's given five affirmations for their five accusations. I just gave you five smoke screens of accusations that they use not to submit to Jesus. But in Jesus reading the scroll of Isaiah in Isaiah 61 verses one and two, he's given these five affirmations of what he would do when he comes to earth. Remember, Isaiah is a prophet, and he prophesied about 900 plus years before the Messiah actually came. Uh, A key verse of prophecy is found in chapter 7, verse 14. It's, It's one we read all around this time during Christmas season. Behold, the virgin shall give birth, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God. But that text gives us five affirmations for the five accusations. Here's the first one, that the gospel would be preached to the poor. The first thing he said when he read the scroll of Isaiah, that the good news would be preached to the poor. Now, it's important for us to understand uh, Old Testament being Hebrew, uh, poor is not talking about our economic status, but it's talking about our spiritual status. Not that the Lord doesn't care about our physical needs, But the good news needed to be preached to the poor in spirit, which would include all of humanity. All of humanity, even those that went to Awana. Because we are all born in sin and we're shaped in iniquity. So we need our poorness, the fact that we are poor in spirit to be addressed. The gospel is this news that actually took place in human history. It's not advice or suggestion. It is the news that you and I are born in sin and in desperate need of salvation. We need someone to do something with our heart condition. Sin is not a series of bad decisions. It is a heart condition that we're born with. But the good news is that Jesus addressed our sinful condition. The good news is that Jesus comes to us to save us, to redeem us, and to send us back out on mission to tell others about this good news. Jesus is letting us know the first thing, the the thread, like in, in chapter one, the good news would be preached to the poor when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, he brings good news, and uh, to hear about our sin doesn't really sound like good news because we think we're so awesome. The good news is that in spite of our condition, Jesus came to do something about it. Support that with 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The poor or the poverty being addressed here is not economic. It's spiritual. We need redemption. 
The second affirmation is that captives would be released in, that's what it says in the scroll of the book of Isaiah. See, sin promises satisfaction, but it only delivers bondage. And so this, this gospel is this great message, but it's a message of freedom, freedom from ourselves, freedom from comparison, freedom from rejection of people. Freedom from seeking the acceptance of people. Jesus comes to bring this message because the whole Jewish law up to this point was all set up based on your merit. So he's come like, no, in spite of what you do, none of that makes you right with God. You need to hear this good news and a response and acceptance of the reality of what Christ has done. This frees us. Captives would be free. The same way it's spiritual poverty, it's talking about spiritual captivity. We know, for those of us that know Genesis, the Bible lets us know that Jesus told them, when you take from this fruit, you will die. They didn't die. They didn't die physically. But it was a spiritual issue. This is what we're born with. The word release here actually Uh, From what we read in the Greek and our understanding of the Hebrew of that text literally means forgiveness. It's not just physical bondage, although the Lord, the gospel addresses that. The most important thing is our spiritual depravity and needing gospel renewal. Colossians 2.14 says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that good news? He has nailed everything to the cross, past, present, and future. The third affirmation is that he would give us sight. Uh, We're also, we're born spiritually blind. Remember, this text is dealing with all of our spiritual depravity. We're born spiritually blind. We have physical eyes. We can see things. And this is why the Bible says that the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. That, that until the, the Lord draws us to himself and he, and he gives us this spiritual sight through salvation, the things of the Lord don't really matter. So the good news is preached. It sets us free, but then it gives us sight. In other words, we, we begin to see life from a gospel-centered perspective. We go from consumerism to generosity. Right? We, we go from selfishness to selflessness. When the gospel grabs hold of you, doesn't it change you? It's impossible to hear it and stay the same. It's impossible to receive it and stay the same. And so when our spiritual eyes are open, we, we realize something. We, we get this great revelation. This is deep. Y'all listening? This is deep. About to blow you away. You come to the realization that life is not about you. Amen? Y'all can talk back integrity. It's okay. (laughs) Ben told me I'm the first black preacher y'all have ever had here. (laughs) It's all right to talk back. This is good news. You're not applauding me. We're celebrating what Jesus has done for us. So sight would be given to the blind. The fourth affirmation that he would address the oppressed. He talked about how he would dress, address those that are under oppression. Now, now, now here's, here's something we, we cannot miss. Many were not only oppressed by actual slave owners and, and the customs of the day, 
But Jesus also understood that, they, that people were oppressed by the law. See, the law oppresses as well. And his, this is why being under grace is a gift. Because the law is based on merit. But see, the other side of that, if, if, if your goodness is based on merit, we also have to keep up with your demerits. And see, the gospel says that, no, it's not based on your merit. See, we, we tend to approach life like, like we do corporate America. I, I worked for Verizon Wireless before I got into ministry, and I worked for the uh, mortgage industry, and, 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 the, and those were private companies, so my, my increase was based on my merit. I got a merit increase. Based on my performance and my productivity, that determined the type of raise I got. And this is how we approach life. We, we, we approach it based on merit, but the gospel says this is not how it works. It's not based on merit because if it is based on merit, then I also got to hold against you your demerits. And you and I, if we have just one, we have too many. He, he, he made it clear. So if you break one, one of the commandments, you, you break them all. So the way the Lord addresses the oppression of the law is to absorb it on his back. Think about that for a second. He absorbs it on his back. Remember the text I read in Colossians? He, he nailed, not his sin, ours to the cross. Romans chapter 7 verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. See? The, the law holds us captive so that we serve in a new way through the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And the fifth affirmation, he would confirm the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is salvation. You can back that up with Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. So by the time he, when he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61, he's saying that this, this day has come. This is beautiful. This is good news because between the Old and the New Testament, there's a 400-year gap we call the period of silence. No one had heard from God, and then God shows up on the scene himself. God comes. And this is why he says in chapter 1 of Mark, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He comes. He brings the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 3 of Mark 6, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. That's one key point. Assumptions about God's will will ultimately lead to the rejection of God's will. They made an assumption about him because they knew him, they knew his family, and and this is what people will, will do. This is what we have done. It's what I have done. Assumptions about God's will will ultimately lead to the rejection of it. And this is what they do. They assumed because of who they knew. They assumed because of his natural lineage that he was not worthy to be followed. And we do this. And this is why Jesus comes. The Bible says he he was common. I know the pictures that we see has this, this lovely Jesus who looks like he uses Pantene Pro-V. <laughs> and he has an immaculate beard in shape of beautiful, piercing blue eyes. And he's looking off, smiling. 
The Bible says, nah, Jesus didn't really do photo ops. He was common. You just would walk right past him. You wouldn't have noticed him. And they assumed because of the commonality of, of Christ that he was not worthy to be followed. Listen, guys, it's important that we don't let for uh, being familiar with people, saved or unsaved, should not cause us to disrespect because this is what they, they did to Jesus. Sometimes the motives of our relationship are revealed when the gospel comes out. Because the gospel addresses an issue. It, it addresses our issue. It means there's something wrong with us. And sometimes you and I will we'll see that those that we love the most, when we bring this up, because remember, this is what Jesus did when we bring this up. Have y'all noticed that the gospel creates problems? It's like we were cool as long as we were doing our thing together, going out, staying, partying. Now, now, now just picture this. So when we're getting drunk together, we don't remember what happened the previous night. We're good. We say, the gospel has changed my life. And I want to invite you to hear this redhead guy with a beard <laughs> preach the gospel. And they say, no, I'd rather forget the previous day. Do we see that? It just doesn't make sense. But they're basically saying, we know you. I mean, you're the car, man. We know your brother and your sister. Oh, that's Mary's baby. <laughs> he ain't special. That's Mary's baby. <laughs> that's how she said it, too, like a sister. That's Mary's baby. That's how she said it. It's in the Greek. Just read it. It's in there. That's what she said. And they saw that as a reason to reject him. Verse 4. Oh, one other thing. I'm sorry. Another way we do this within Christendom is not only the familiarity of our relationship, but, but we embrace this idea of spiritual tenure. I've been going to this church for such and such years, so this. The, the, the idea the text is communicating is because they had known him for a while and they knew his earthly lineage, that he was not worthy to be followed. Verse 4 and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Our next point, an authentic relationship with Christ will lead to reverence and not contempt. Exodus 20:12 talks about honoring your father and your mother. The Hebrew word of, of honor, the same communicated in the, in the Greek, it's this idea of glory and glory in essence means weight. It means to give, to, to give weight to. So, so when the Lord is saying, when, when Jesus says, look, I'm, I, I'm without honor in my hometown, it's saying they, they have not given any weight to my very essence. They, they don't want to glorify me. As the Westminster Confession teaches us that man's chief existence is to glorify him and to serve him only. They don't care about the Westminster Confession. Once again, that's Mary's baby. And this idea of honor carries a lot of weight. In fact, in the, the Old Testament code, I mean, a child could die for disrespecting and not honoring their parents. 
Honor is something that, that, that the Lord gives a lot of weight to. It's the same idea of reverence, reverential fear. Not that we're scared in a, in a doomsday type of way, but we honor his holiness. We honor his mission. We honor his presence. We honor him for the gift of faith he's given us. We honor him for the gift of the church. And obviously we honor him for the atonement because he is the only one who could pay the price for our sin. The authority issues is really a sin issue. We don't honor authority. We don't truly understand authority. Romans 12:10, love one another with brotherly love and affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 13:7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. One more, 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This idea of honoring God leads to honor of earthly authority, even if they're not saved. Not that we condone sin. The Lord says, I'm without honor in Nazareth. I'm without honor Here's here's the question for us. Do we function the same way? See, because it's real easy for us as Christians to to say one thing but function in another way. Does our lives say that the Lord is worthy of honor? We honor God by worshiping and obeying him. But then we also honor people by loving and engaging them with the gospel. There's family authority that is worthy of honor. There is spousal authority that is worthy of honor. Occupational authority that is worthy of honor. And then spiritual authority, your elders, your deacons, that is worthy of honor. He says, I'm without honor in my own hometown. What do our lives say about the presence of Jesus? Last two verses. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. This is interesting. John Mark set this up beautifully at the leading of the Holy Spirit. I mean, each each other story, with the exception of the the demon-possessed men, because it was more than one. We, we see the woman with the issue of blood seeking Jesus. We see Jairus, Jairus seeking Jesus for his daughter. And the interesting thing is, is up to this point, those that sought after Jesus were Gentiles. They were outside. They, they, don't, they didn't have the church pedigree. They didn't, all of them didn't have the understanding of Jewish culture. They didn't, un, they didn't have the right dietary. Uh, 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 they didn't uh, apply the same diet that the Jewish people did. They, they didn't understand all these laws. They wouldn't have known nothing about Leviticus. They didn't understand these things, but they heard of a man bringing this gospel They heard of a man also doing these miracles. 
And those that were outside of what we would call the church or the understanding of church history displayed the most faith. But those that had the church backgrounds, had been to the Iwanas, had been to the vacation Bible schools, had grew up in church, it's real easy as the text is showing us to become so familiar doing things for God to not actually spend time with him. So easy to kind of know godly things and be around and, and we live off other people's faith. But they did not have any of their own, and so they rejected him. But the beautiful thing about this rejection is that it was necessary. Please don't miss this, that John Mark is showing us the authority of Jesus when you read up to this point. He has authority over the natural realm. He has authority over the spiritual realm. People want him as a miracle maker, but not everyone wants him as the Messiah. And Jesus embraced all of it because all of it was necessary to pay the price for our sins. Here's the point. Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. Jesus endured the rejection of his hometown, the rejection of relatives, the rejection of the Pharisees, and at one point, separation from his own father so that you and I could be accepted. The hometown reject had to be rejected. So now that heaven could be our home. He was rejected at his hometown so that we can be accepted at his. Now that was worthy of a shout right there. <laughs> that, that, that was. There we go. We got one. Just a hint of urbanism in, in the crowd. Just, just, a, just an ounce. That he was rejected at his hometown so that heaven could, it could be our hometown. Please don't miss that. Jesus' rejection is the gateway for our acceptance. This is why. I know you guys are doing Hebrews in the next week, couple coming up. But chapter 4 and now in here, it says, we do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Why? With our infirmities. For he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. The Old Testament high priest would have to offer a sin offering for himself and for the people. Our high priest is the high priest. And he's the sacrifice. Beautiful. Yet he was rejected. My prayer is that you would understand this. And for those of you that are saved, that you would share this. The Savior was rejected. So that when you stand before him, you don't have to be. Let us pray. Pray.